You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joined in God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. You know, for Father's Day, you can do a lot of things. You can talk about what it means to be a good dad, I suppose, but I've only been a dad for two and a half years. You could talk about uh, what it means to uh, be the kind of uh, man that God wants uh, us to be, and you could talk about a lot of different things, but all I could think about was a, a particular story in the Scripture, and then it took me back to a particular story in real life. His name is James, and James lost his dad when he was 10 years old. He lost his dad to cancer, and it was a short and painful battle. James has very fond memories of his dad. His dad used to read the Bible to him and, and pray with him almost every night as long as he could remember. And he remembers that about his dad. And he also remembers just how much and how passionate his dad seemed to love his mom. It seems like they were always kissing in the kitchen. And it just James remembers those images. He especially remembers the Bible stories. Uh, see, James's favorite stories were, were the ones that his dad would tell him about Jesus and the Gospels. And he really loved those stories because he loved this idea of, of this image of what God looks like, Jesus being God, that he's God. But, but James really, really loved the, the stories of the Old Testament, all the good ones and all the bad ones. The bad ones meaning he was, he was always confused and yet thought it was awesome that God at one moment would furiously and passionately love his people and rescue them and, and serve them and, and, and save them. And then at the same time, you'd turn a page in the story and all of a sudden God is trampling his people and destroying the enemy and, and leading his people into exile because of their rebellion. And James, though that was very confusing for him, he still saw God as just this awesome God that he didn't understand. And his dad would tell the story with such passion and fire. And James really remembers how his dad got into the story. And James, he misses his dad, especially on his birthdays, and then especially on his dad's birthdays. He grew up like any kid, though. Uh, he grew up a fairly happy kid, really. His mom was really involved in the church. Uh, church wasn't something that his family did, and it was more of a life for them, and she was involved in a small group, and James remembers the small group. And he really liked the church, and he, and he liked this preacher because the, his preacher would teach these stories in a way that brought him back to his dad's memory. You know, his preacher would preach these stories about Jesus with passion, and, but then when the preacher would preach these stories in the Old Testament, and he wouldn't hide from the fact that this God was confusing and mysterious. And James really liked that because it reminded him of what his dad would do, and he almost sort of saw the preacher that if his dad were a preacher, he'd be like that. And he also really learned a lot from the people in the church. He would go to a small group every week with his mom, and he learned what love looked like. Because, you know, he, he didn't have his dad, but he saw dads in his small group. He thought about Mr. and Mrs. Brinks and the way that they loved their children. And that just really drew him in. He saw what a dad's love looked like and what a mom's love looked like there. And, and, and that did something for James. And then there's Mr. and Mrs. Smith, who had been married for, I think, 60, 60 years, 59-something years, and, and they loved each other like they were dating right out of high school still. Like, he, he was just this romantic with her, and sometimes they would even kiss in small group. And though he thought that was gross, he, he thought that was special. And then, and then there was Mr. and Mrs. Jones, 
And if you knew Mrs. Jones, you would know she's probably one of the most cantankerous people you've ever met. But somehow Mr. Jones had all of the patience with her in the world. And, and James noticed that. He saw how Mr. Jones loved Mrs. Jones. But he missed his dad. He missed his dad. And he especially missed his dad growing up through his formative years at times when he would hear about his friends playing baseball and catch with their dads or when he'd hear about their fishing trips. And then his dad's birthdays became harder and harder for him as he got older. But then there were those times where James was growing up that he really wished he, he would have had his dad around. And, and you can all probably relate. Guys, you might be able to relate to this. You might not have been picked on and bullied. You might have actually been the bully. I don't know. I'm not judging. But when you were, when you were in high school, I got bullied a lot. And James was getting bullied by this kid. He was just this mean kid named Seth. And, and James wanted nothing more but to be able to go to his dad and ask him, how do, how do I deal with this bully? And those times he, he really missed his dad. And then there was this girl named Jennifer he met. He met her in eighth grade, but then he went to school with her in high school, and he really liked her a lot, but she didn't have anything to do with him. And he wished he could have just asked his dad, how, how, can, I, you know, how can I get her to like me? And he loves his mom, and don't get me wrong, James loves his mom. She's a wonderful woman, and he thought she was the most beautiful and amazing woman ever, but she just didn't give the kind of advice that he felt he needed or wanted. And she certainly couldn't catch a baseball. There were two things that James knew that he wanted when he was in high school. One was that he wanted to go to a Christian university. He didn't want to be a minister, but he just wanted to go to a Christian university because he loved the Bible and he loved the stories of God. And, and then he knew he also wanted to be a dad one day and a husband one day. Like he knew that. Because he thought maybe that's, the, that, that's what his dad would have wanted him to do. And his dad was so good to him when he could remember his dad that that's just something he wanted to do. And so he goes to Atlanta Christian College, and he meets Jenny. Jenny's this beautiful, spunky young girl, and they get really serious. And now they've been dating about three years, and he sits in his senior year in college. He's about to graduate, and he's thinking about proposing to her. But this one Monday, this one Monday was perhaps the most difficult, yet the most life-changing for James. See, chapel happened every Monday in this university. So every student was required to go there. And James loved chapel because he loved hearing the Bible stories. And he also loved his professors teaching the chapel time and preaching their sermons. And, but this particular Monday was hard for James because his dad's birthday was later that week. And, and it's all he could think about. But, but not just that. He was going to propose to Jenny. And he was wanting to do it that weekend. And so he had these questions in his mind, and he really started to miss his dad because all he wanted to do was ask, you know, do I drop to my knee? How do I propose? Whether I'm graduating, how do I interview? What kind of jobs do I get? And, and so James is sitting in this chapel time that he normally loves, but his mind's not in it at all because his mind's just circling with a 100 different questions that he'd just really like to ask his dad. But his dad is not there and he finds out they have a guest speaker that week. And that doesn't thrill James at all. Uh, some local preacher guy. And so then the preacher stands up. And this is how he opens his sermon. He says, young men and young women, we live in a world that will offer you many different ideas and philosophies as to what it means to become a godly man 
woman, and if God chooses for you, a godly husband and wife, father and mother. It is important that you hear me this morning as I present a different kind of idea to you, except this idea is not of my own. To the professors, administrators, and anyone else in this gathering who does not fit the description of a student, bend your ears to me. For this message is also for you, as God has a role for his church to play in the development of young men and women to become the kind of men and women God desires. It is important that you hear me this morning as I present a different kind of idea to you, except this idea is not of my own. God offers instruction as to how all children can grow into the men and women he desires them to become. This instruction is simple yet difficult. It is simple because it simply involves God's story and the testimony of his wondrous works and the history of his people as revealed in his word. It is difficult because we often fail to thoroughly teach this story to our children, both as the church and as parents. Nonetheless, God's psalmist and worship leader is inspired to exhort all of God's people to understand the importance of God's instruction. So all of us today, all within earshot of my voice, listen so that you will know. Listen so that the children will know. And then the preacher goes on and he reads this psalm. My people, hear my instruction and listen to what I say. I will declare wise sayings. I will speak mysteries from the past, things we have heard and known and that our fathers have passed down to us. We must not hide them from their children, but must tell a future generation the praises of the Lord, his might, and the wonderful works he has performed. He established a testimony in Jacob and set up a law in Israel which he commanded our fathers to teach their children so that a future generation, children yet to be born, might know. They were to rise and tell their children so they might put their confidence in God and and not forget God's works, but keep his commandments. And they would not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not loyal and whose spirit was not faithful to God. The Ephraimite archers turned back on the day of battle. They did not keep God's covenant and refused to live by his law. They forgot what he had done, the wonderful works he had shown them. He worked wonders in their sight of their fathers in the land of Egypt and the region of Zoan. He split the sea and, and brought them across. The water stood firm like a wall. He led them with a cloud by day and with a fiery light throughout the night. He split rocks in the wilderness and gave them drink as abundant as the depths. He brought streams out of the stone and made water flow down like rivers. But they continued to sin against him, rebelling in the desert against the Most High. They deliberately tested God, demanding the food they craved. They spoke against God, saying, Is God able to provide food in the wilderness? Look, he struck the rock and water gushed out, torrents overflowed. But but can he also provide bread or, or furnish meat for his people? Therefore the Lord heard and became furious. And then fire broke out against Jacob and anger flared up against Israel because they did not believe God or rely on his salvation. He gave a command to the clouds above to open the doors of heaven, and he rained manna for them to eat. He gave them grain from heaven. People ate the bread of angels. He sent them an abundant supply of food. He made the east wind blow in the skies and drove the south wind by his might. 
He rained meat on them like dust and winged birds like the sand of the seas. He made them fall in his camp all around his tent. They ate and were completely satisfied, for he gave them what they craved. Before they had their satisfied, before they had satisfied their desire while the food was still in their mouths, God's anger flared up against them, and he killed some of their best men. He struck down Israel's choice young men. Despite all this, they kept sinning and did not believe his wonderful works. He made their days end in futility, their years in sudden disaster. When he killed some of them, the rest began to seek him. They repented and searched for God. They remembered that God was their rock, the most high God, their redeemer. But they deceived him with their mouths. They lied to him with their tongues. Their hearts were insincere toward him, and they were unfaithful to his covenant. Yet he was compassionate. He atoned for their guilt and did not destroy them. He often turned his anger aside and did not unleash all his wrath. He remembered that they were only flesh, a wind that passes and does not return. How often they rebelled against him in the wilderness and grieved him in the desert. They constantly tested God and provoked the Holy One of Israel. They did not remember his power shown on the day he redeemed them from the foe when he performed his miraculous signs in Egypt and his marvels in the region of Zon. He turned their rivers into blood and and they could not drink from their streams. He sent among them swarms of flies which fled on them and frogs which devastated them. He gave their crops to the caterpillar and and the fruit of their labor to the locust. He killed their vines with hail and their sycamore fig trees with a flood. He handed over their livestock to hail and their cattle to lightning bolts. He sent his burning anger against them, fury, indignation, and calamity, a band of deadly messengers. He cleared a path for his anger. He did not spare them from death, but delivered their lives to the plague. He He struck all the firstborn in Egypt, the first progeny of the tents of Ham. He led his people out like a sheep and guided them like a flock in the wilderness. He led them safely and they were not afraid. But the sea covered their enemies. He brought them to his holy land, to the mountain his right hand acquired. He drove out nations before them. He apportioned their inheritance by lot and settled the tribes of Israel in their tents. But they rebelliously tested the Most High God, for they did not keep his decrees. They treacherously turned away like their fathers. They became warped like a faulty bow. They enraged him with their high places and provoked his jealousy with their carved images. God heard and became furious. He completely rejected Israel. He abandoned the tabernacle at Shiloh, the tent where he resided among them. He gave up his strength. He gave up his strength to captivity and his splendor to the hand of a foe. He surrendered his people to the sword because he was enraged with his inheritance. Fire consumed his chosen young men and his young women had no wedding songs. His priests fell by the sword, but the widows could not lament. Then the Lord awoke as if from a sleep, like a warrior from the effects of wine. He beat back his foes. He gave them a lasting shame. He rejected the tent of Joseph and did not choose the tribe of Ephraim. He chose instead the tribe of Judah, Mount Zion, which he loved. He built a sanctuary like the heights, like the earth that he established forever. He chose David, his servant, and took him from the sheepfolds. He brought him from tending baby lambs to be shepherded over his people. Jacob over Israel, his inheritance. He shepherded them with a pure heart and guided them with skillful hands. 
Selah. James sat there. 72 verses of scripture read. And the preacher just sat down. And James just sat there. And he wondered. And then he remembered. His dad told him this story. It was the story of the Exodus. The story when God delivered his people, and this psalm just sort of recounted the whole story. And, and James remembers when he first heard that story how confused he was. And, you know, this God loved and he rescued, but then God did all of these things. And he remembered the story. And he remembered why his dad was telling him the story when he heard this psalm spoken. Remember what the psalmist said at the beginning. Tell the children this story, the story of God, so that they will be the kind of men God made them to be and the kind of women God made them to be so that they will be God's children. It was like at that moment James realized that he could be the man God made him to be. He could be the husband he wanted to be, the father he wanted to be, because God gave him the greatest gift of all, his dad. And then his dad turned around and gave him the greatest gift that James could ever receive. And that's the story of God as told in Scripture. See, church, this story is for us. The psalmist has a message for us. And the message is simple. The children need to know what it takes to be the kind of adult God is making them to be. Dads, you can raise up your children to be the best athlete the world has ever seen. And they can win every game. And you can have them involved in all 17 sports that some of our kids are involved in. And they can win every game they ever play. But if they do not know the story of God as revealed in the Bible, then they will lose it life. Ian is a little lefty, my son, and he can throw a little football pretty well, you know, 50 yards or so. Um, (laughs) Minus, you know, 49 yards. And he can swing a little baseball bat off the tee, and he's got a nice level swing. He watches the ball, the, you know, the, the bat to the ball. I mean, the kid's just, you know, I mean, I'm talking like athlete. But, but I want to I put something to rest in my own heart, and I want to put something to rest in, in all of your dad's hearts. Dads, raise your hands if you have a boy. I, I got to put this to rest for all of us, all right? Now, listen well, because this is very important, and this is something I'm wrestling with, but it's, I think it's true. Our sons will not become professional athletes. They, they just won't. I heard a guy say it this way. Our sons have a better chance being struck by lightning while being eaten by a shark before they become professional athletes. It's not going to happen. We can believe in them. But we need to remember something about our children. They need to know the story of God. And you know, the story of God is sometimes it's just ugly and confusing. And what we don't need to do is pretty up God. God is God. 
And there's nothing we're going to do to change that. But as God is God and we, we don't, you know, try to pretty him up, when I, tell, when I tell Ian these stories and I'm thinking, man, this is hard to tell a two-and-a-half-year-old, but it's God. And I point him to Jesus, too. And Jesus is God. Fathers, we can raise our children up with the greatest work ethic America has ever seen and raise them up to be successful. But if they don't know the story of God is revealed in Scripture, then we're raising them up towards an empty pursuit because God never called us to be successful. He called us to be faithful. And that changes things. See, there's something about this story. And church, this is for us. This is God's call to us. The children need to know the story of God as revealed in Scripture. They need to know the the text that we can explain and we're not afraid to not be able to explain. And they need to know the text that we might be able to explain. But they not only, not only need to hear it, they need to see it lived out in our lives. We need to make sure that in this church, the word of God has a voice always. So that the children will know. But parents, the story is for you. The psalmist is saying for you. Children can be the best ballet dancers, the best baseball players. But they need to know the story of God. And they need to know it not in church. They need to know it in your home, in their bedroom. They need to hear the word of God spoken and read out loud in their homes in everyday places, as everyday people, in everyday ways, not just associate the word of God with church. We've got you covered. We're going to be the people God's made us to be here. We're going to do what we're called to do, and we're going to teach the word in all of our areas the best we can. We have children's ministry. We're going to do everything we can, but you parents, you have to teach your children the word of God. You have to do it in your home. And if you can't answer it, don't worry about it. Invite your child to go to God and learn from God. Because as your child and my child and our children grow up to know the wondrous works of God, they will see his beauty, his majesty, his holiness, his love, his justice, his wrath, his mercy, his grace. And maybe, just maybe, they will stand in awe of who God is and give their life to him because they'll realize that this world offers nothing better than what God has already offered in Jesus. But we have to tell them the word of God. We have to tell them the story. So let this be a day of conviction. Let this be a day that you leave resolved to tell your children the story of God. To read the word to them. To just tell them the story with your lips. And then let this be a day of conviction that you as a child of God understand that you are called to know the story of God and let it work its way into your life so that you can be the dad that God made you to be and the husband God made you to be and the mom God made you to be and the grandparent God made you to be, that we can be the church God made us to be. We can't just talk about it. we got to live it. But it's an and both. We live it 
and we proclaim it. And not just here, but in our homes. That is what the psalmist called us to do. The psalmist stood before God's people. And he said, my people, hear my instruction. Listen to what I say. I will declare wise sayings. I will speak mysteries from the past. Things we have heard and known and that our fathers have passed down to us. We must not hide them from their children, but must tell a future generation the praises of the Lord, his might, and the wonderful works he has performed. That is our call. Families, that calling is led by you. Let's pray.